you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. My name is Randy Rubenstein and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast, where we believe when your thoughts grow, the conversations in your home flow. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, episode 126. Well, hi guys. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, this week and next week, I am actually going to be helping those of you who are affected by COVID and the school year coming up and what's in store for our families and our kids. And I think many of us in America are going to be looking at a decent amount of virtual learning. So, uh, or at least some kind of a hybrid approach. It doesn't look like there's many areas where kids are going to be going back to school full time. And I know that is not necessarily what we wanted to hear, and this is our reality. So I wanted to put out a couple of episodes just to support you so that we can, you know, tackle this thing because we can do hard things. That's who we are. That's what we do. So I got you, and that's what we're going to cover this week and next week. So the title of this podcast is Becoming the Homeschool Teacher You Never Asked to Be. Um, and if you're listening to this and you chose to be a homeschool teacher and you've been homeschooling your kids for a long time, then please, I hope that you're sharing resources everywhere you possibly can because you're the leaders on this. But for the majority of us, um, we didn't ask for this role. We didn't raise our hand. We did not volunteer. And yet, here it is upon us. And um, as we experienced last school year, um, we've, we've seen. We've seen a lot of holes in our kids' school day. We've seen, I've had many people who have noticed things about their kids where they realize there's a disconnect. I mean, there's, it's been a big window into how our kids learn what their behaviors like. Um, there's also been, you know, a learning curve in terms of how schools have switched to online learning, which I applaud. Every teacher, I've, I, I really have heard so many teachers just praised for their ability to kind of shift gears, and even many of what many of 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 whom have kids of their own at home while they're teaching our kids. It's you know, teachers are have always sort of been the unsung heroes, in my opinion, 
but especially now they really are. But, you know, there's been a lot of information and I've, I've seen a lot of people who have said, you know, thank goodness for this time. Cause I realize my child has some learning differences or I can tell that my child has, you know, a really hard time, um, connecting socially. Um, or they were so reliant on their social connections during the day that, uh, putting so much focus on the academic piece I, I you know there's something missing so there's been a lot that many of us can learn and um and so I know you guys reluctantly volunteered to homeschool your kids um but what I want to say is is that um you know I'm going to provide some help and um if you're feeling negative emotions about it all like if you're dreading the school year, if you're um, feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling worried, if you're feeling pissed at your co-parent because you're female and in the majority of households that I know, unfortunately, even if both parents work outside the home for some reason, the homeschooling duties seem to fall more on mom. Um you know, and if you're just experiencing a whole host of emotions, of negative emotions, what I want to say is, is, um, we have to allow that. Like we have to do what's called holding space for those emotions. And what does that mean? It really just means that you're allowed to have a private temper tantrum about this. Like you, you, you have to put words to how you're feeling. Notice what those feelings are and where they show up in your body, right? And then what we do is we write about it. We tap on it. For those of you who know that who've read my book or listened to my book and I talk about EFT tapping, um, which is sort of like doing acupuncture on yourself without needles. Um, so you have to write, you have to tap, you have to process, you have to vent, you have to yell, you have to cry, okay? And um, But do it when your kids aren't around right? Like, like deal with your own internal drama, which you are a hundred percent allowed to have with the support of other grownups. Okay. Our kids have enough of their own big feelings to deal with, with all this uncertainty and they don't need us bringing our issues to the table for them to deal with. They really don't. But when we don't deal with them, when you don't take the time to hold space, and hear yourself and kick and scream and vent and write and tap and do all the things and cry, okay? When you don't do that, guess what you do? You just BS yourself and then you end up feeling resentful and martyrish and angry and, you know, it's just not helpful. It's just not helpful. So first and foremost, acknowledge you didn't raise your hand or sign up to be a homeschool mom. You have a right to go through the stages of grief. You have a right to get pissed, cry, vent, and process. The processing is important. And if you try, again, if you try to avoid the processing part, right? Like that's who I always was. I was always a number, a deflector. Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Armor up. I, what are you talking about? That's like ridiculous. What is that? Like I'm above the drama. Let me tell you something. You're not because you're human. No human is above the drama. Okay. So 
you'll find yourself, if you think that you're armoring up, if you think that you're, uh, you know, you're above being human, you're going to find yourself feeling resentful and frustrated. And then you're going to do what? You're going to take it out on your kids. You're going to find yourself in that parent gap, the gap between the parent we want to be and the parent that we show up as when we're feeling resentful, frustrated, triggered. Okay. And you have to be willing to just to face this situation. Okay. So really allow yourself to process it. And um, I'm going to beat a dead horse on that because I'm telling you, I was the classic avoider of that. And if you're also like rolling your eyes, like hold space, what the F does that mean? Like that sounds dramatic and unnecessary. Um, I'm here to tell you probably as the older, big, maybe wiser at times, big sister, you can't get around it. You got to go through it. You got to go through it. Okay. So as you process, here's some information that might help if you find yourself really dreading the whole homeschooling thing. Okay. Let me read to you a little bit, some statistics. There was a, there was an article in 2019, June of 2019 in Forbes, and it was talking about the number of teachers quitting the classroom after just one year. Okay. was hitting an all time high in 2019. So it says the teacher shortage is reaching a crisis uh, is reaching crisis levels as the number leaving after just a year in the classroom has hit an all-time high. More teachers are dropping out after their first year than at any time in the last 20 years, while one in three leave after five years. One in three teachers, according to figure according to figures published today. So why do so many teachers leave so early into the job? Okay. It's, well, it's not because, I mean, we could say it's because of the crappy pay and that would be totally legit. Um, Because as you know, now that you've been doing a little bit of homeschooling or managing the kids as they've been receiving, you know, homeschool instruction and helping them sign into the Zoom calls and keep up with assignments and get enough physical activity and explain to them the stuff that they don't understand and all the patience that comes with it, y'all know it's freaking exhausting work. And yes, teachers should be paid more. So we could understand if they left because it's just so exhausting and they don't get paid enough. But what I have found is that it really doesn't have, you know, most people go into teaching, they know what the pay is. So anyone that goes into teaching is generally going into teaching because they have a passion for kids, for learning. Like they're the good guys, okay? So why do they leave so quickly? It's not because of the academics. It's not because of math or science or spelling. It's what educators refer to as classroom management. Classroom management, okay? So let me tell you what classroom management is. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's managing the classroom. And who's in the classroom? Kids. So how it's it's hurting the kids. You know, it's it's hurting cattle. Um, It's really all about behavior right so what's you know what's the issue the issue is I've got you know 20 kids let's say and I have to teach them all these things and they're humans and they 
come maybe they didn't get enough sleep maybe you know their basic needs aren't met maybe they you know there was they came to school and they had already had a fight in the morning at home or or a power struggle with their parents and it's going to take them four hours for their cortisol levels for their stress hormones to go down and so that's not real conducive to being in your thinking brain and learning and so I have a kid that's fidgeting and and a kid that didn't get enough sleep shows up with ADHD symptoms and then they're constantly fidgeting and they've got their hands on the other kid and then the other kids going into their emotional brain and then they're whining and that you know it's all the stuff that all of us deal with when your kids fight with each other it's really like learning to live with people during the school day so teachers leave because of classroom management in a 2013 survey Classroom management was the top problem identified by teachers. In a report by the National Council of Teacher Quality in 2014, they identified the practices of classroom management programs and the way teachers were trained to better understand how much it affected students, okay? And it affected, it directly affected their learning. So their findings shed light on why so many new teachers, um, they feel ill-equipped to move beyond behavioral challenges and into the heart of instruction. So that's the thing. As long as things are tense and not copacetic, guess what? Kids, your, your kids are, are, are at a learning deficit. So we really have to figure out classroom management. And now here we are, the reluctant teachers who didn't raise our hands to be the homeschool teachers, now we have to figure out classroom management and probably also how to do all the things from our regular day, okay? So I just want y'all to understand that this is something that teachers grapple with. Like there's a reason why it, if you're feeling stressed or worried about the school year, there's oh, it's legit. I mean, this is why teachers leave teaching because they, they feel ill-equipped they don't have the right training. They haven't received the right resources. They don't have enough experience at this. You only get better if you actually know what to do. And then you practice doing that over and over and over again. Repetition builds mastery. And so, you know, what this study said, every teacher wrestles with the challenge of keeping two or three dozen students in a classroom engaged. While better instruction generally results in better behaved students, the most brilliantly crafted lesson can fall on deaf ears or worse, be upended by disruptive behavior. So like strong veteran teachers, like they know they may occasionally have a difficult kid, right? Um, or a kid that woke up, woke up on the wrong side of the bed or is going through uh, problems at home or their parents might be getting divorced and so they're they're disengaged that day or they're showing you know some behavior that's not exactly cooperative but when it's a new teacher right and they're just trying to teach all the things that they learned how to teach in in college and they're trying to present an engaging you know, instructional learning session, right? While also having to manage all the behaviors that we deal with at home as parents, like it becomes so intense, so overwhelming, they ultimately just feel defeated, 
Okay. And so, um, so what I want y'all to know is like, you're not crazy if you've been, if you've been, you know, if you were super stressed out last year, that this is all something that teachers have been experiencing over time. Maybe what this time is, rep, you know, is representing is I know that behind the scenes, because I actually worked uh, in, I worked with teachers for a number of years in helping train them on classroom management. Um, a lot of which is at the root of the mastermind parenting method. Um, and what I hear from so many teachers sort of behind the scenes is um, it's a problem not being on the same page as the parents. You know, teachers blame parents, parents blame teachers. Ultimately, when a child's not doing well or showing up with with non-cooperative behaviors or not retaining the information and that's reflected in in you know in grades that aren't what everyone was hoping let's say like C's or lower everybody starts pointing the finger at everybody else so all teachers have ever wanted is like they went into teaching because they have a passion for children and um and for learning and so they want the kids to succeed and so if they felt like they were, you know, on the same team as parents. And I know there's always a couple of parents in every class who are super supportive to the teachers. But overall, most teachers say that um, they don't hear from parents enough. And um, and it does seem like, you know, when they have to share something by email, it might be, you know, they get defensiveness back. It's just a lot of finger pointing. So maybe this time is representing parents and teachers finally aligning and us being able to see the teachers' perspectives and teachers who are now home with their kids while also trying to work, see the parents' perspective. And maybe this is going to be a time where we all get, get more on the same page, which will ultimately just benefit the kids. So this study um, on classroom management they named the strategies that are most likely to be effective um, in helping the teachers manage the kids and have a successful school day. So, the, so I'm going to read to you the top five things that they identified. Number one, rules. Establish and teach classroom rules to communicate expectations for behavior. That's what I say. I say, you know, I say it with parenting. Parenting is establishing rules, one, two, repeating it often, three, following through consistently. Easier said than done, but, but that's it in a nutshell. So here they're saying you have to have rules. That's why when every classroom you walk into, they have the rules spelled out. They're on the wall. You know, it's like the rules of the classroom. So you have to have the rules and you have to have them, you have to communicate those rules and have them on the wall. Um, number two, routines. You got to have structure. Build structure and establish routines to help guide the students in a wide variety of situations. Yeah, we have to have, you can't just cross your fingers and hope that the day is going to go great. Like we have to take the time and have some routines and some structure. And let me tell you guys, I am a rebel tendency. I hate routines and structure. It's like the opposite of the way I want to live my life. And kids thrive when they know what to expect. So there needs to be basic routines and structure. Um, number three, they wrote praise. 
uh, reinforce positive behavior using praise and other means. I like to call it rather than praise because praise sort of sounds like we're training dogs. Um, I like to call it celebration. Reinforce. Positive reinforcement. So it's like celebrating the wins. What we focus on grows. I say that quite often. What we focus on expands. So when you talk about something and talk about something and talk about something and talk about something, it's on the other person's radar. Like if I said, red car, red car, red car, don't think about a red car. Like you're thinking about a red car right now. That's just, it's just human behavior. So celebrate all of the small wins. That is positive reinforcement. When you work on positive reinforcement, when you have a routine in place, when you have rules established, when you've had a successful day, and then you take the time, you know, quite often our kids are like, mommy, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And we're like, uh-huh, good job, good job. But then when they do something wrong, we like read them the riot act. See, so we're putting so much emphasis on all the wrongdoings. And then shocker, we get more wrongdoings. Whereas like take the good job out of your vocabulary and actually take the time to spell out what the good job was. Celebrate the wins. Take the time. Wow, we had an amazing day today. You were so frustrated. Um, I saw you working on those math, those you know math equations, and it seemed like you were super frustrated. And then we like went and took a break. We took a, we took you know Buttercup for a walk, and um, which I have to say was a really fun little break because normally I do those walks by myself, so it was super fun to get to have a you know a friend with me to talk and chat with while I took Buttercup for the walk. So we took the walk. And um, we took a little breather and we took a little break and then you went back to your math assignment and you totally knocked those out. Like you listened to your body. You weren't able to focus. We took a break. We got a dog walked in the meantime and then you came back and you knocked it out. Way to go. All right. That might seem like, like, and I'm not talking about blowing smoke about every stupid little thing, but like. For a kid to have to tackle 30 problems when they're doing all this virtual learning, they're not engaging with friends, they're not probably moving their body as much as they need to, it's a total deviation and they get frustrated and they take a break and then they come back. Like that is a big deal. So taking the time to focus and even like have something as a reminder, like what's one thing that I can... I want to reinforce and I can celebrate today. Like that's big, you guys. Um, okay, so that was number three. Number three, we're going to call it celebrations. They called it praise. It's all about positive reinforcement. So number one was about establishing rules. Number two was having routines, having the structure built in. Number three, celebrations, positive reinforcement. Number four, misbehavior. It says consistently impose consequences for misbehavior. And... Um, there is a way to impose consequences and consequences are not meant to be punishment. They are not meant to shame and belittle and degrade. They are meant to be opportunities for teaching. They are meant to teach cause and effect. And we have to take our judgment out of it. Consequences when done the right way enforced consequences are you can try again tomorrow. This is going to help your brain to remember. Consequences, there is an art 
to doing consequences. Um, so when there is consistently a misbehavior, we have to have some consistent consequences to help our kids understand that certain behaviors are not acceptable and will not be tolerated. And we have to do it without shame and belittling and blame. Number five, engagement. Foster and maintain student engagement by teaching interesting lessons that include opportunities for active student participation. No one wants to just be talked at. That's why like I teach quite often through story because you're there with me. You know, when I'm sharing a story, you're there with me hopefully in the story or you've had a similar story and we as humans, we learn through story, right? It's the it's the one of the oldest ways that we teach. And so unfortunately, a lot of classroom instruction is, or textbook reading, like I hate when teachers are like, okay, we're going to read aloud from the textbook. And the textbook is just a bunch of facts and information. Like teach it through story. Let's have some hands-on learning. Let's act some things out. Let's do some role playing. Let's do some fun group projects. Let's put it on a stage. Let's take it outside. Let's do some dramatic reenactments. Let's assign roles. Um, let's research, let's each have individual jobs. Anytime we can bring some playfulness to it to foster the engagement, like this is our time to help our kids see that learning is supposed to be fun. Learning is supposed to be fun. And it's not just about going through the motions of life. Like so many of us are stressed out about this homeschool, but what if we saw it as a time to get to do things the way it should be done. If we have kids that aren't necessarily the most traditionally successful students, what if we study them and we start to notice what kind of an out-of-the-box learner they are and we meet them where they are and we go and find some resources to help them realize that there's nothing wrong with them. They were just meant to learn in a different way. And, I mean, I say this to my, to my daughter. I've said it to her for many, many years she is a person who has always loved to figure things out and loved to learn and um, is an excellent student. However, year after year after year, she would come home and she'd be like, oh, it's just so boring. I mean, I want to tell you elementary school, she literally supplemented her education by with like Harry Potter books, Lightning Thief series, um, any book she could get her hands on. But the truth is, is that she um, she's an out-of-the-box thinker. She is meant to be experiencing and um, like experiential learning is her jam. I probably should have sent her to a Montessori all the way up. Um, and when she's bored, she's she because it's not an engaging teacher delivering. Like I really feel like she's the litmus test on engaging gifted teachers and teachers that probably need to leave the field um, because if they're not engaging if they're not interesting if they don't know how to foster engagement um, she literally wants to poke her eyeballs out in that class but then when it's an engaging teacher I mean like she had this math teacher that was a math I mean and we're talking like in in high school where it was like you know, calculus and like in statistics. And she lived, she doubled up on math her senior year because of the teacher, because he was so engaging and fun. And he ended up taking them to like 
a statistics conference in Boston, which was really like, like, I think it was mostly like a sports betting. (laughs) It was something, it was like analyzing the stats so that people who wanted to play sports, sports bets. And the teacher kind of figured out how to like turn this into um, a school trip that paid for his, his secret gambling addiction, which, um, sort of just kind of cracked us up but you know what she was like so interesting um and or like when she learned about economics from this really engaging teacher with um some kind of an acting background like he made it interesting she started teaching me about economics and I was like I didn't learn economics that way she's like yeah this teacher's really good um and he was like comparing it to all kinds of new you know new things that that felt felt really relevant for her So, you know, that's what I want to say is, is that, um, when it's done the right way, um, kids enjoy learning. So what if this was a time where we got to help kids who weren't necessarily traditional, you know, amazing students? What if we help them to redefine that? Okay. So this really is an opportunity for us to accomplish things and and if you're not ready to hear this it's because you got to go through the stages of grief first before you get to this place where you're ready to sort of see it differently and be part of the change and be part of the solution and use this time as a powerful time in history for our kids like what if the what if having our kids home help change the way they learn at school in the future where it is more interesting and curriculum does become more progressive can y'all tell I feel powerful I feel I feel passionate about it because it makes me crazy that there are so many schools and the way we're educating our kids I think is so freaking boring so much of the time and just sit next to your kids um, with their assignments and online instruction and you'll see what I mean so if they're not wanting to get through those zoom calls or to do all the assignments or to do things like what if we take things into our own hands and supplement things as we see fit what if I mean we, we sort of the world is our oyster right now Really? Is anybody going to, during COVID, are kids going to be failing? Like, I don't think so. I think that it's not going to take a whole lot for us as parents to get to prove to the schools that we supplemented our kids' education. And yeah, they didn't get to all the assignments this week because guess what? The assignments were flipping boring. Um, So I just, you know, I want y'all, though, to go through the mindset piece to get yourself to that place where you're able to sort of get passionate and excited about it, um, you have to be able to to go through and process how you're feeling about it. And I want you to know also that you're not alone and you're not crazy if the uncertainty of this time in history is making you feel anxious or even angry. Um, We have to feel those feelings. We have to acknowledge that it's okay to feel it. And, um, and when we do, like, that's really how we model being the grownups who are capable of doing hard things. And because we're the grownups, remember, it all starts at the top with the leadership. Like, our kids 
feed off of our energy. So you're the pack leader. You're the leader of your little pack. You set the tone. So do what you need to do this week to get your mindset clean and clear. Go through all the stages of grief. Do your tapping and your journaling and your writing and your venting and your temper tantruming. And remember, grown-ups diffuse drama. We don't add to it. We can do hard things. Do the work to get your family set up for a successful school year. And next week, I'm going to cover some really tangible tips and actions that will, that will help you to have a super successful school year. So that's what I have for you this week and hope it was helpful. Are you ready to start having productive conversations? Have you been listening to the podcast for a while and you hear me go through my three-step productive conversation process to solve any problem and you're thinking, how does she do that? Guess what? I made a really cool resource for you guys. I call it the problem solving one sheet. Okay, it's one sheet front and back. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it will walk you through how to have productive conversations and you'll practice. And before you know it, you'll be having productive conversations all day, every day. It really is the solution to solve any problem. So you can download it at mastermindparenting.com forward slash problem solving all one word that's mastermindparenting.com forward slash problem solving all one word